Let's just get there as soon as possible. We are in um, a sermon series called Low, where we are trying to encounter the reality of Christmas that is beyond the decking of the halls and the celebrating of capitalism and consumerism, but we're trying to go back to the source, um, the place, the lonely, dark, cold stable where the refugee king was born, because that's where liberation always comes through, is in the cracks, in the shadow spots that we try to sidestep. Uh, Debbie last week spoke about Mary. She got this series started. Uh, She talked about how heavy Mary's yes was that she gave to the angel who came to Mary and asked uh, for her body to be the bridge in which God's child would come into the world. And I wish I was here for it because, to be honest with you, despite my years and despite the level of education that I've gotten to, I feel like I've been shortchanged when it comes to all things Mary. Mary was not a key figure in my religious upbringing. She was more like a glorified Christmas prop. As a a Protestant child, the son of a Baptist church, um, she was always the Catholics thing. And we actually made up like false stories about like we, we creeped ourselves out when we talked about Mary because people like the Catholics, they prayed to Mary in the same way that people pray on Ouija boards or to Brett Favre or whatever the thing may be. And so Mary was always this thing that was out there disconnected and, and, and I just didn't know what to make of her. And that's a tragedy because there is so much more to this figure. Mary, this teenage girl who grows up in a podunk backwater city that is deeply uh, religious, conservative, fundamentalist, and she's trying to make ends meet in, in a season where God hasn't spoken in over 400 years. For 400 years, the prophets were quiet. That is 145,600 nights where people of God would throw calls to God and God would send them straight to voicemail. That is until this night, the night when God spoke back. God sends a messenger to her people bypasses all the houses in the, in the land, bypasses the houses of married women and adult women and goes into the bedroom of a 13-year-old girl and says, will you be the child who carries my child into the world? You can understand why the angel did not lead with congratulations, but instead led with do not be afraid because that's a scary thing. The angel says again and again, do not be afraid, which is it is helpful on some level, right? But it's also like, it's kind of like when somebody's having a panic attack and they say, like, just relax. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, think about that. Just relax. <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. So what is being said in this conversation between these two? It's important that we hear it. We, we were at a wedding last night. My little cousin got married. And um, I was sitting next to my six-year-old son. And we got to the point in the service where the priest, our pastor, was saying, Uh, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And my uncle said, uh, her mother and I. To which my six-year-old son turned to me and goes, her mother just died? And I said, it's tragic, isn't it? In fact, if you see why, and you can give him a morale boost, he's still pretty down about the mother dying. My point being is that it's very important that if you're going to overhear a conversation between two people, if you need to understand the story that you are stepping into, you have to understand the words that are actually being said. 
And if you listen to the conversation between Mary and Gabriel, how don't be afraid sounded from the angel and how don't be afraid sat in Mary were two very different things. We listen to this story with the ears of a teenager, with the anxieties of a teenager, while being mindful of the details that Dr. Luke provides. And we recognize that this is a terrifying moment. To Debbie's point from last week, this is a heavy ask that is being sent this young girl's way. It's, it's scary. And Luke makes sure we know that because Luke tells us the next line. That once the angel left, Mary left too. She ran for the hills. Now that might not sound like that's, oh, that's how we know that this was a scary thing. But if you understand the context, you'll get it. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, another man in town. If Mary had a baby that was not Joseph's baby, that would be a problem. Not just socially inconvenient, but legally a problem. You could be stoned to death. Here's my proof. Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 24 reads like this. If a man happens to meet in the town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you should take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and didn't scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. But if out in the country a man happens to meet a young woman pledged to be married and rapes her, only the man who has done this shall die. Do nothing to the woman. She has committed no sin deserving of death. Now, if we can all just for a moment kind of couch our post-enlightenment sensibilities and Get a lay of the land of what's actually being said here. If you are a woman who was raped in a city where there are people all around you, houses here and there, if you are a woman who was raped in a city where there are people all around, in this archaic form of governance, both the man and the woman were to be stoned because the idea, the logic of the land was that if Mary didn't want it, she would have cried for help. Somebody would have heard her scream. In other words, to use common vernacular today, she was asking for it. In other words, the more things change, the more things stay the same. I mean, this has been a problem that the church has perpetuated and preserved for thousands of years now. Ever since its inception, it has spent more time telling women how not to get raped and not enough time telling men to stop raping. If a woman was raped in the city, both the man and the woman could be stoned if there was no cry for help. Now, flip side of that, if a woman was raped out in the hill country where there was cows and crows and not many neighbors close by, then you had a chance of walking out free. Mary just might make it to 14. And so that's what she does. When Mary hears that in the city she is now pregnant, even though she is pledged to be married to another, she knows that she will be killed because not once did she interrupt the angel with a cry for help. And she books it. She heads for the hills. She just starts running. Luke makes the point to say that she goes with haste, urgency. It's a reactive move, excessive speed. She runs for the hills with the idea, likely, that when she comes home with a belly full of baby at a later point, 
the pregnancy would have happened in the country and she'd be able to make it to 14. I think this is important. I do. I don't think I'm biblically nerding out on this point. I, I actually think it's an important thing for us all to consider right here. Because I think when we tell this story, we can be so familiar with it that we miss how crazy it actually is. We miss the, the, the emotions that are undergirding the whole thing. Mary is not running out into the hills singing joy to the world. She's, she's not going and telling it on a mountaintop. She is trying to stay alive. She is terrified. Young women in particular do not just run out on their own into the wilderness. That's a death sentence in and of itself, but it was Mary's one chance at being alive. Mary wasn't in the country to sing carols. Mary was just trying to not get killed. And I have to imagine that this is not how she envisioned her teenage years playing out. This isn't the bat mitzvah that she had been dreaming about since she was a baby girl. Her life was going this way and then an angel came her way and now she's running from her home and into the hills and I can't help but wonder if any of you have made a similar sprint like that. I was talking with my brother down in Mexico this last week about um, the older that you get, the more uncertain and slippery life seems to feel. And yet we all still seem to be way too overconfident when it comes to planning out how our tomorrows are going to go. We are way too certain about what we'll see in our Mondays before we even step out of our Sundays. We all live with expectations of what we'll encounter, what we'll experience. I do this, I go there, I eat that, I sleep then, I marry her, I work here, and on this day I'll do this, and that day, and that day, and that day, and that day. But then comes that one day that rearranges the rest of our days, and we're no longer at home, we're now in the hills. And everything that we thought we knew, all the boxes that we thought we had packed and the labels that we thought we had settled upon, they're all up in the air and we can't find our feet. Have you been in a space like that? Have you been in that one day when the doctor calls and confirms your worst fear? Have you been in that one day when the job that you loved became the job that you lost? Have you been in that one day when she didn't come home? Have you been in that one day when they didn't want you to come home? Have you been in that one day when somebody finally spoke up and named the thing that we've all been trying to avoid? I've come to believe that all of us will have that one day. If you haven't, brace yourself. Because like Mary, all of us will have that one day, that one moment when the angel will interrupt our regularly scheduled programming and we'll no longer know how just to go on with business as usual. My favorite philosopher and yours too, Mike Tyson, says that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. When's the last time you got your face punched? Tell me about your bloody lip stories. When's the last day that you recognize that this changes the rest of my days? What do you do when the script leaves the play and for the first time in your life you have to improvise? What do you do? 
Or maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe it's, it's not about what you'll do. Maybe it's about what you allow to be done. Maybe it's not about how do you fix the problem, how you fix the struggle. Maybe it's about you finally facing your own story. Because that is what happens on that one day among many other days. There are a few things that will sober you up more quickly to reality as suffering will. As having your life flipped upside down. I used to work with older people in a nursing home and when they would lose somebody that they loved, which happened very frequently, it's amazing. When you, when you recognize that time has drawn near, when you are in the midst of that kind of pain, you don't hear people talking a lot about who they're going to start in fantasy football that day. You don't hear people talking about, man, I should go get that sweater. You do hear people say, when are we going to be together again as a family? You hear people make calls saying, I miss you. You hear people make calls saying, I never got the chance to tell you, but you need to know this. Suffering sobers you up to reality really quick. Debbie, I was thinking about, um, I was trying to see if some, we were in Israel a couple of years ago, three, four years ago, something like that. And um, we had this very hard and heavy day at Balada refugee camp in Palestine. And we were experiencing all these, these horrifying stories and these people who are living on minimal resources. And I'll just, I'll never forget coming back to the hotel that night and after kind of debriefing and dissecting all that went down, you and I got this email from here and it was about like some relational beef between two people in the church that was so stupid and it was finally so clear how stupid it was. Like suffering makes you aware that some things really are stupid. Some things are not worth the energy that we give them to. Suffering will sober you up to what really matters, and it will do so really quickly. Suffering has this way of taking you out of just watching your life passively from the nosebleeds and drag you to the front row where you actually have to pay attention. And do you know what you see when you finally get up there? The people who are up there with you. Mary understood this. For the sake of her own survival, Mary runs into the forest. But for the sake of her own story, Mary runs towards her family. It wasn't an arbitrary throwaway comment when the angel told Mary that your postmenopausal cousin, uh, she is also pregnant. I know it doesn't make sense. I know she's too old. I know it's been so long that she's been barren and everyone wrote her story off, published her pain, signed, sealed, delivered, done, but it's true. There is a baby growing in Cousin Liz's stomach right now. Now, if you think about the context without recognizing the, the whole story, it's kind of like, why are you telling me that? What does that have to do with what you're telling me about the baby that's going to be in me? But when Mary's in the forest, Mary's in need of some family. She gets to the person who gets her. It was the angel's insistence of the reality that to survive suffering and that season of stumbling that happens after it. You're going to need some solidarity if you want to be stronger, stronger on the other side. You're, you're going to need a warm body to touch. 
you're going to need to hear somebody say, me too. You're going to need to show your wound and have that other person go, yeah, I know what that's like. And watch as they show you theirs. One of my best friends, I talked to him yesterday, and we recognized that we became really close, not because we logged more hours together than um, we logged with other people, but because our friendship really got started when my son was in the hospital and his dad was in the hospital. When you're in the forest, there is no time for pretense. There is no time trying to uh, uphold this facade of everything is together, everything's just fine, wasn't it with you, was you? It's, it's like really what's going on with you right now because here's what's going on with me and I can't fake it if I'm going to make it. When you're in the forest, you need somebody that not just recognizes your heaviness but is willing to hold it too. Mary found that. Mary, who was too young, and who is too unmarried to get pregnant, went to Elizabeth, who is too old and too fragile to get pregnant. And then they touch one another's bellies, and they can feel the kicks of Christ beneath. There is something powerful about solidarity that is based not on the surface, but on the substantial, on those one days among the many days that rearrange all of our days. I'll prove it to you. I want you to do something for me. We did this a few years ago, but it, it's always a powerful reminder to me. If you have seen any of the 234 different Star Wars movies, please stand on your feet right now. This is good. Somebody explain to me what the emotion is that you're experiencing right now as you recognize that you are not alone in watching Star Wars. What was that? Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. So very deep, powerful, clearly. You can sit back down. Now I want to ask you one more question. Stand up if you've been affected by cancer, whether personally or relationally. If you have lost somebody that you love to cancer, keep standing. Look around the room. You feel that. There are faces over here that don't know faces over there, and yet suddenly when you recognize that their pain looks like your pain, that stranger becomes a family member. There's a togetherness inside of this thing. Feel that. That's the touching of bellies and the kicking of Christ, of hope of promise, of the truth that you're not alone. You can have a seat. Elizabeth receives Mary and says, blessed, blessed, blessed. Affirmation, com commendation. I know the whole thing's crazy, but it's good. I know you're terrified, but it's good. I know you feel all alone but I'm here and it's good. Then Elizabeth says to her cousin, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. 
you know, we have a promise that we can believe too. Jesus, before we left us, said this to us. Where two or more gather in my name, there am I with them. Not where two or more vote the exact same. Not where two or more live in the same neighborhoods, have the same skin colors, sexual orientations, same religions. When you give yourself to another person, you are creating space for God to come in. When you reach out to another and remind them that they are not alone, you are making space for the reality of Christ to invade and for love to actually win that moment. Galatians 6 says that if, if we're actually serious about um, fulfilling the law of Christ, then we need to hold our heaviness together. That's the ultimate thing. You need to hold your heaviness together. And for some of us, myself included, it's not in holding your heaviness. The challenge for me is in allowing my own heaviness to be held. To showing my wounds and my fears. To making that 80-mile walk that Mary made to get from her home through the hills to her cousin where there was a belly full of joy waiting for her on the other side. Will you make that walk? This led the two of them to um, sing a song, both of them. And so we're going to close this thing out with a song. It's an ancient song that the church has been singing for many years. And so will you stand with me? This is our promise to one another. I'm going to lead us through one verse and one verse alone. Patty, can you get through the, the slides for this, please? If you want to hold a hand, we're going to be very dramatic about it right now. Close your eyes, squirt some tears, do what you need to do. No one told you life was gonna be this way Your job's a joke, you broke Your love life's the away Feels like you're always stuck in second gear When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month Or even your year starts to pour I'll be there for you like I've been there before I'll be there for you cause you're there for me too that wasn't corny it was cute right alright let's pray <laughs> Jesus Lord, give us the courage to make the 80-mile walk that Mary weighed. Lord, let us um, have the courage to have our lives disrupted by your good news. Give us the courage, Lord, to be faithful to what you are doing in us and through us and to trust that where you send us, we do not go alone. We are together in this. And that changes everything, God. Lord, we are grateful for the good gift of family that we have here for arms that we can link with, stories that we can swap.
and bellies that we can touch. Christ, you are good. We are grateful. And all God's children, we say together, amen. What I love about that story is that Mary's not really running away from anything, but she's running to something. And I think that's what we get to do as community. We get to run to each other. We are wired to do life together, to be connected, to do the highs and the lows and all that's in between. And that's the beauty of this table community is that we stand with one another. And as we stand with one another, um, we do it because we follow a God who promises to stand with us no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what sends us running into each other's arms. And this God that we follow on the night before he de his death, he sat at a table with his friends and he broke bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. When you drink from this cup, remember me. So that's what we do. We come together during the music. Right here we have gluten-free elements, regular elements. And we take the bread and we dip it into the cup. And we remember a God that calls us to be in it together. And we remember a God that stands with us through one another. No matter what. So please, you are standing. And together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory of